Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, this is Kim Hopkins, Director of Outreach for Lives in the Balance, standing in for Dr. Ross Green, who is once again on the road today. It's time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. We do this podcast the first Tuesday of the month from September to May at 11 a.m. Eastern Time to about 11.45. We do our best to help you with your behaviorally challenging child, figure out what's going on, and help you figure out some things that are hopefully going to work. Our call-in number is 347-994-2981, and make sure to press 1. I think I'm on my own today at the moment, but we already do have a caller, so callers take precedence. Let's get right to it. Area code 678. You're on with us live. What's your question today? Hi, good morning. Um, I called in last month about my nine-year-old who was having some big anxiety that was preventing us from proceeding past kind of the empathy stuff. And I just wanted to call and give an update and um, maybe ask a little more about anxiety Well, we love when people call back in. We love updates, so great. (laughs) Great. Well, um, I guess I could summarize, perhaps, if people didn't hear last time, would that be a good place to start? Sure, that works for me. All right. So I... Things had been kind of reaching a peak of difficulty for my nine-year-old, who we had had a lot of success for the past two years um, doing Plan B and CPS to to solve a lot of problems, but that had kind of come to a halt um, as she moved through third grade and things had started to get worse and she had really shut down. Um, and so I had kind of gone to the drawing board and started drilling for information about why it was difficult to, to talk to me or to talk to anybody, um, you know, about her concerns or what's happening for her. And I got a surprising answer after drilling for a while, which was that the world could end at any minute and she didn't want to waste her precious time talking to me or anyone else. She just wanted to do what works for her and what made her feel good. Precious time after school, outside of school, basically. And there were some other things that that I learned as well. Um, And that kind of brought me to a halt. I really didn't know how to what to do with that because I can't, I can't really address the concerns about all the scientifically possible ways the world could end that, you know, she thinks about all the time. Um, And I called in and got some very good advice from you all. And I also, I also 
continued to try to drill and I we took her for a neurodevelopmental psych eval update, which was very informative and she really participated in it because she wants things to go better, especially at school where things had kind of gotten to be the hardest. Um, and, you know, we just were able to at least engage her in kind of more evaluations with the school. And um, I, I definitely took a step back and started giving her more of the space that she felt she needed to feel safe which resulted in a lot of um, improvement at home Um, and I think at school. But we do have – she's being evaluated for an IEP. Our meeting is next week, and the school is theoretically on board with using some Plan B to be written into the IEP, assuming, you know, they determine that she'll get one. But, um, yeah, things have been a lot better at home, and – I got a lot of good information from the psychologist that really just brought me back to CPS, um, which was great because I was nervous that, you know, adults would want to impose solutions. Um, Mm -hmm. But she, she was, she's been diagnosed for autism and ADHD. She was, also diagnosed for significant anxiety, um, but the psychiatrist, or sorry, the psychologist delineated a profile within autism of pathological demand avoidance, which I understand y'all talked about on the show probably a couple years ago. I was like researching to see, um, and you know, I it, she definitely fits the criteria, but I, I it doesn't explain what specifically is getting in the way of her meeting demands, of course. Um, However, it seems like a very good platform for the school to understand that she's having difficulty meeting demands and that it's based in her internal experience. Something is getting in her way. Um, And it's not a compliance issue. And in fact, enforcing compliance will make it worse for her. So I'm hopeful that that at least will be a situation in which diagnoses can support, you know, the system working with her. Um, Mm -hmm. And the more I read about PDA, the more it just came back to the principles of CPS, really, which is that, you know, there. So many things about living in this world are difficult and overwhelming and scary that, um, you know, the pile up of demands just gets to a point where, you know, that she might shut down or fight or, you know, have all these different responses, which are just those behaviors, but um, something's getting in the way and it's, it, it does seem to be anxiety-based for her. And a lot of her anxieties are things that she can't control and I can't control, which is a little mm-hmm. tricky, and that's kind of where I've been stuck. Uh, but there has been some progress in terms of the more I just give her space and if she wants to lock herself in the room and take that time, I don't make any demands that she not. That seems to make her feel safer. And um, 
the more that I give her that space, she's actually stopped locking the room. She's stopped even closing the door. And she started showing me what she's doing with her time and talking to me about some of the things that worry her. And I've been able to, when she brings it to me, look into it. Like she was very worried about a black hole that was recently discovered. So we had to look at, you know, I said, okay, well, let's look at where it is. And so we looked up how far away it was and how long it would take to get there and things that kind of helped seem to help her. And she came Mm. upon like a zombie virus concept, which we then did some more research into and learned that it was just a word for a virus that gets, you know, reactivated as the permafrost. It's not like everybody's turning into zombies, you know, so... Though I think that it's been good that she's starting to, like, talk about her concerns. It's not in the proactive plan B that I am used to doing and prefer to do. But she really is still pretty resistant to that, Mm -hmm. to, like, scheduling, you know, and talking about things. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that is my update. (laughs) Well, I, I call that a good update, you know, because, you know, yeah. the worry was, right, the, the the main worry was that she was shutting herself off and not engaging much at all, yeah. let alone plan B, right? And it sounds like, right. and I'll, I'll reword, if you don't mind what you said about giving her space, it sounds like plan Cing some of the yes. wishes and expectations you had around the bedroom time and the door closed and the lock and all that is actually what let her breathe a little bit right and so it's a it's this really nice highlight of how we talk about you know we we don't really get control by taking it we often actually get a little more feeling of control by giving it which seems so strange and yet this is exactly highlighting what we mean like sort of saying okay we're gonna relax on this we're gonna we're gonna table it for now plan c right it's a decision we're making and you're actually like reaping some of the fruits from that, which is great because that reconnection is likely going to lead you back towards doing some more of the plan B work that you're hoping to do. It might look different than it did before. You know, it might have to be a little more creative. It might not be all verbal, maybe, right. Um, Maybe there's other ways that you can get information about unsolved problems other than using words or having a face-to-face. But um, I'm really excited to hear about, you know, the doors now not locked and open and there's engagement on these very big worries for a very small person to have, right? Um, I wanted to mention on the diagnoses piece, um, you know, I'm very glad that the school is kind of going, oh, okay, you know, this is this is not a compliance issue. I also, of course, wish it didn't take a diagnosis to do that because there are many kids that it's still not a compliance issue even though they don't meet criteria for a diagnosis. Right. But I'm very good, glad in your situation that, you know, um, that having that information kind of is opening up the school's mind. And um be real interested in, in the IEP process, I just want to make sure you've seen that we have a couple of free resources on our website um, as you head into the IEP. Um, and so if you go to livesinthebalance.org, 
and okay, this is going to challenge me because we've moved things a little bit. It's under our solution and then CPS paperwork. Did I get that wrong? I think I've seen nope. the sample IEP. That's where I'm going for, yeah. Is it under educators? Huh. How come I can't find it when I want to find it? <laughs> but anyhow, um, the sample IEP, oh, there it is. I was right. I just missed it. Sorry. I was right the first time. Our solution, CPS paperwork, there's CPS-driven IEP and FBA examples. Um, so it sounds like you've seen that already, though, but just for everybody else listening. Um, what did you, did you give it a review? What did you think about it? I think that a little while ago I looked at it and it looked great, um, but at that time we hadn't started the process yet. So I'm going to go yeah. and read it again. Um, and I, you know, we don't have a determination yet. So I'm, I, I expect that they will determine that she's eligible. Um, the whole team mm -hmm. seems to be on board, but I haven't really seen, we haven't met to review all the data. Um, so at that gotcha. point, then we can begin actually writing things. I mean, I'm really going to push for plan B to be incorporated. I'm going to, you know, I've been very clear with them. I've given them her ALSEP. They, you know, they don't really, they seem to accept it from me and say that they will incorporate the wording, but I don't think that anyone on the team really understands CPS yet. I will work on that. I continue to work on that. Maybe give out a book before the school year ends. <laughs> um, but I'm hopeful and, you know, it works for her and I'm clear to them that this is what works for her when she is able to engage um, in collaborative problem solving. That is the only thing that works. She does not um, appreciate plan A. It will always always escalate. She is not the kind of kid that will just do it. Um, or if she does it, it'll make things worse down the line with that relationship and that trust will be broken. So um, I'm hopeful. Well, and I, come I hope this summer. I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say that I hope this summer when there's no school demands um, that we can kind of, she and I can return to the drawing board when she's feeling safer and more relaxed and has all that space to, um, to start kind of working on some of the highest priority items again. Good. Um, yeah. And, and to put it in CPS language, when these unsolved problems or unmet expectations at school are not on her plate because it's summer and they don't exist in the summer, right? That that sort of, will give some natural breathing space and maybe you can do some either work on home unsolved problems or anticipating um, some school ones, you know, ahead of the fall and nice and proactively. Um, when you go in to talk to the school, whether the disposition for the IEP is found in your favor or not, and of course, you know, um, knowing how the system works, we're of course hoping that it is because that, that gives you some nice teeth, you know, if, if you need it. Um, but really thinking about how the ALSIP drives that IEP conversation. And yeah, if you, if you can't get the IEP that you're hoping for, you can still 
use the ALSIP to drive a conversation about how are we going to support her in this building. And you're yeah. armed with data already, and schools love data, right? You're armed with data from home about what hasn't worked and what it led to and what has worked and what that led to. And you're willing to help, right? Um, yeah. You know, there's also a whole bunch of free resources on the website for educators, including the whole model in video and downloadable stuff. If they go to our solution and come under schools and educators, they'll find it all there, right? So you can, it's not like you're asking them, right, to spend a ton of money. It is going to take some time. That is a resource, right, that a lot of schools don't have much of, right? But we're not asking them to spend a dime. We're trying to help them because we can anticipate if they do things the regular old way, um, they're going to lose her. It isn't going to work. So, um, right. 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 What, and what yeah. a beautiful piece of advocacy work you're doing for her. Thank you. I, I've been able to engage her in that because she, I, I, I approach it as, you know, she knows that I have the lenses on that if, if things aren't working, something's getting in the way for her because she wants it to work. She wants to do well. And I know that. And she knows that I know that. And so I've just approached her so so far with school with, you know, I, I'm on your team to help them understand what's getting in your way and what's going to work for you and them. But I, you know, I just need to know more about what's getting in your way. And she's given me a lot of good information over several months about, specific subjects because we did take data and there are very specific times of day and subjects where she has the most difficulty. And I was able to present that data to them at the last meeting and say, Mm. here's the list of what she says is getting in her way with math. Very specifically, it's the multiple steps and the larger problems. And she's confused about this. And that was kind of what took the conversation to the IEP level. The way that they were Mm. collecting data was like a global day-to-day, did she meet six out of eight, you know, behavior marks. And it was always like, yes, she met six out of eight, but she was consistently not meeting math like every day. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I kind of had to turn the data around to show them. And that that did work. So I'm hopeful. And I gave everybody the alpha. Then I gave them the one pager from the best. Excellent. <laughs> and I talk about Thanks. it every time. So I'm, I'm hoping that it, <laughs> it goes somewhere. <laughs> I, well, I sure do, too. And I think that you've got some nice foundational blocks to help it go in that good direction, you know. And certainly – if you run into uh, any obstacles in this journey, you know, certainly be back in touch with us. Um, We're on air again come September. So we take a break now. This is our last episode. I didn't actually mention that at the top of the show. This is our last episode for this U S based school year anyway. Um, And so we're back in September um, and we'd love, you know, for you to call in again in the fall and let us know how it's going or shoot us an email. We really do, honestly, love updates, um, especially if, you know, uh, the advice got you somewhere, but maybe not all the way. We're happy to um, delve back in. It uh, makes for a very rich conversation on our end, too. So, um, yeah, we wish you 
the absolute best and your daughter as well. And um, keep us informed of how it's going in this next part of the journey. I will. Thank you so much. These resources have absolutely changed things around for my family. And I'm so grateful to all the work that you and the whole team do. Thank you. Oh, it is absolutely our pleasure. And so uh, stay in touch. Have a nice, peaceful summer. And maybe we'll hear from you again. All right. Thanks. You too. Take care. Always love when we hear back from folks, especially um, when they've had a chance to implement some of what we talked to them about. Um, Again, really rewarding thing for us. So um, that was exciting. All right. We don't have any other callers in the queue, but we do have some emails to get to. So let's try to get through some of these before we have our summer hiatus. Okay. This email says, I learned about your work many years ago when my son was 11 years old. In fact, I attended a workshop to learn about CPS. My son is now 36 and has a toddler of his own who is 18 months. His, his son, so the grandchild, is already exhibiting the same inability to deal with frustrations that his father showed although I think he is even more active and he has even more outbursts than his dad at the same age. I realize, of course, that it is normal for toddlers to have temper outbursts, but in my estimation, this little guy is experiencing much more than is normal. He is throwing, kicking, yelling, pushing, often directed at other children and adults many times each day. I know your model is based on skill development, problem solving, etc., I am not sure how to do this with a toddler who is less than two. He verbalizes a lot, but is still unintelligible. Do you have any information, studies, or research about this age that would be helpful to his parents and myself? Um, So it's a question that we get a lot, actually, and we're about to release, we're hoping later this month, a video showing some plan Bs with younger children, although I don't know that we're reaching the age of two, but I believe we have three and four on um, on the plan. So um, if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for our newsletter, which you can find on our website under the Connect button. Follow us on Facebook. Um, you will be alerted when that video drops because that is one that um, I get questions about this multiple times a week, right? So we do have that coming out. In the meantime, you're bringing me back to when my own son was 18 months old and we had the, the uh, kicking, yelling, <laughs> screaming, throwing himself on the floor thing multiple times a day. I was actually just reflecting about this with somebody else because um, I remember when my sister witnessed uh, one of his meltdowns and I looked at her and I said, you know, we'll have, you know, three, four of these a day. And she was like, no way. But now we may be, he's seven now, um, we have, well, we hadn't had one for months and months, and we just had one the other day. Um, but it's very, very rare that things reach that. And I very much credit the model um, and, uh, you know, really working with him even before he was verbal, um, working with him in terms of the kids do all they can lenses, Um, because that's really key. You know, um, yes, it is wonderful, and it's the model at its best when we can get information from our partner, from our kids, right? 
And before they're verbal or, or if for another reason they're not able to give us information, we can still do some wonderful collaborating just by making sure our adult lenses are on straight, that we're coming from kids do well if they can. Now, he was, not, he, he was an infant not too long ago, right? So when he was an infant, um, and this is kind of our reference point, right, that when our, when our children are infants, we're naturally sort of already primed to, do, to have the kids do well if they can lenses on. You know, we're not thinking always trying to get one over on us or always manipulating us or always seeking attention, right? When, when we have infants, we're naturally thinking, oh, something's wrong. <laughs> We've got to figure out what's wrong so that we can help, right? Um, and it's the same kind of thinking. Uh, initially, you might, as I did, find yourself doing a lot of emergency B, um, you know, b- until you're sort of figuring out, starting with the ALSIP, as we always say, right, what are these predictable unsolved problems that are happening, right? When can we predict that these um, meltdowns that he's having will occur, right? And then um, making some, at this point, educated guesses and hypothesis testing to try to shift some things to help him uh, manage these situations differently. And I say educated guessing and hypothesis testing because he's not able to necessarily give us information. He is, however, able to give information non-verbally, right? And that's, um, you know, very reliable stuff, right? The non-verbal information that he gives is that, you know, his facial expression changes and he's happier looking, right? Or he stops the screaming or his, his babbling is, is lighter, right? And it's not upset kind of babbling stuff, right? And that very rich indicators that we're on the right track with the changes that we're trying to make. Um, Plan C, of course, is going to be a big friend here. You know, when we use that ALSIP and we uh, get, get get him to be as predictable as we can about his unsolved problems, we can take a look at that and think, well, what are the ones we can put on ice for now? What are the things that we're just, you know, maybe we're just not bringing him to the grocery store or we're just, you know, um, you know, not going to ask him to, you know, sit at dinner or whatever it might be, the things that we can just not ask him to do right now. Um, And then what are the things that, you know, we might need to band-aid? We might need some alternative plans in place. Um, Again, plan seeing, we're not solving anything, we're not teaching anything, we're just trying to manage expectations so we don't find ourselves managing behavior. I'd much rather manage expectations than have to try to manage behavior. It's so unpredictable how that will go if we're managing behavior, right? Um, And then for the ones that you actually want to try getting to go better, you know, again, because of his verbal state, you're going to probably be left with educated guessing and hypothesis testing. And as he gets older, um, you could work towards using pictures um, and have him do some pointing, you know, and think about the ways he does communicate if words is still not there yet, right, and ways that he could let you know what might be happening, right. Um, I'm having all these flashes of, <laughs> of all these things I worked through with my son in previous years, and um, man, was I so glad when he started to get a couple of keywords. And some of the keywords was learned through uh, CPS 
conversations with him where I had to train some kind of rote phrases that would help the situation go better, particularly around sharing with um, my daughter. And so training the phrase couple minutes was one, and I'm pretty sure I've talked about it on the show before, but that was one early on where, you know, I would be doing the talking and say, oh, you, you know, you want to use that? Um, you know, Josh, can he use that in a couple minutes, couple minutes, couple minutes, right? And then one day he said it, couple minutes, have that couple minutes, right? And I, I almost did this. I'm pretty sure I did a very uh, unflattering happy dance when that happened. But, um, you know, and that really, that training, that rote phrase really did cut down on so many of those um, unbelievable tantrums that I, I joke, but I'm half serious. I've got some hearing loss from this kid's scream is pretty amazing. So, um, so anyhow, um, hopefully that gave you a lot to think about. Um, you know, really the bottom line is we can think about the model with kids of any age. It all starts with our lenses. It all starts with understanding the child and making them predictable using the alpha. And then thinking about gathering information in ways that don't rely on the kid having words, um, nonverbal pictures, educated guessing, hypothesis testing if we need to, right? Um, certainly hope that that gives you a place to start. Um, again, I think this video coming out is going to be really useful for many families who are thinking about the model with younger kids or nonverbal kids, so look for that. Um, and definitely be back in touch with us. Uh, we're, we're back in the fall. We'd love to get an email from you or have you call in and let us know how things are going. Thank you very much for emailing in. Um, oh, and we do have another caller, which is great. We do have about, um, there we go. We have about 15 minutes left on the program. Caller, uh, area code 704, you're on live with us. What's your question today? Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. Um, I am calling about my son who just turned 18. Um, so, you know, has just he's a senior in high school. I'm not sure that... Um, you all give a lot of guidance for technically adults. I would say he's probably more 14 or 15, emotionally speaking. Um, and we have been using collaborative and proactive solutions with success for most of his life. Um, the book, The Explosive Child, was recommended to us when he was um, probably about six, so 12 years ago. and um, uh, he's done pretty well up until this year. Um, he's been in the same school from kindergarten through this year, and since transitions are very hard, um, I think that may be part of what is happening with him now. But um, to make – he's gotten extremely depressed this year, the in my estimation. Um, he's not seeing his doctor anymore. That's been true for a couple of years. He asked at 16 to to stop seeing his doctor and stop taking any medicine. And um, 
that went okay for some time. And then this year, um, he, in November or so, kind of around the same time he decided he wasn't going to go to college, which we felt like is definitely the right move for him at this time. Although I think earlier in the year, he'd been hoping towards that for some physics studies, but um, then changed his mind. And he has become increasingly withdrawn and isolated and quiet um, and then ultimately ended up um, leaving home, dropping out of school and leaving home for a month. We had very limited contact with him. He would, if where he would say, I'm okay, but he, we didn't know where he was for about three weeks. Then he stayed at a friend of ours' lake cabin for a week, um, and then he came home, and he let us know he was there. We didn't have contact with him that week, and then he came home. He's been home for about two weeks, staying in a family member's um, garage apartment, which is next door, just to try and give him some space, but he's put up black trash bag. He's still not going to school and he's not showering. He's put black sheets and bags over all the windows to make it dark. Um, And now that he's been home for two weeks and we're feeling like we're settled with him being back home, um, we know that we have to do something. And He's really not communicating with us. If we ask a question, we might get a one-word answer. Um, It has been recommended to us that we do a professional intervention um, that would result in him going to inpatient, probably, I mean, presumably a locked inpatient care unit. And I'm so scared because I know how poorly he does with forced solutions. Um, Even though I think the intervention group we're working with would be, um, is, is good and comes at the intervention from a caring and loving perspective rather than a, you know, break your spirit kind of, angle mm-hmm. um so i just am confused about whether there's ever a time for like a traditional intervention and if if this seems like it would be a good step given the dr- the extreme nature of our circumstances well, it certainly sounds like there's been a dramatic shift in his presentation um, yeah. it, over the last, and how scary for you not to know if he was safe and his whereabouts, and I'm glad to hear that he's back in some semblance of being back. Um, yeah. You know, thank you. They're, yeah, they're, I'm glad to hear you're working with a team. And yeah. as far as we're concerned, you know, and I will typically talk about this in, in when I'm doing trainings um, and talking about Plan A, right? Um, the time that I would use Plan A would be 
imminent risk of danger. If I don't do something, my child or somebody else will get hurt. So that imminent is kind of the key word, right? And knowing, like you said, there will be downsides to it, right? Yeah. But sort of saying the, the imminent risk of danger, the safety that I need to restore is going to outweigh the downsides. That's really the thinking to do, right? Because um, imminent, like, again, imminent is the key word. Imminent risk of safety is not a time to engage in, which would, you know, would be emergency plan B. It's really not necessarily the time for that. If we need to restore safety, then we need to. But you knowing that if we do that, the relationship will take a hit. Trust might be a little bit eroded, right? It, it's not necessarily, right. it's a, it's a stopgap measure to return to safety, which we do need to do sometimes, right? But it's not going to necessarily yeah. do anything for the long run, right? So going in with eyes yeah. wide open about that, which it sounds like you have, right, is real important. And also, and this is the key part, and I'm not just saying this because he's 18. Even if he was a little mm-hmm. one, I'd be saying Say these things to him. Say, we didn't know what else to do. We were worried about your safety. Our hands are tied, right? Like, we we know you're not going to trust us after this. We know that this is like, and that's not what we want, and yet your safety is our ultimate, right? Um, So I think finding ways to be transparent about the downsides of plan A are important, right? Now, maybe you do it preemptively as like a a kind of a part of your kind of last-stitch efforts of sort of saying, like, our hands are feeling really tied. We are so worried about you. You know, we would like to talk through as we have in the past and not make you do anything, but really try to figure out how to help you in this next phase of life, how to make, you know, help you be the best version of you you can be, right? Um, And our hands are feeling tied as, if there's because I'm hearing you say there's little engagement in that, right? That there's not necessarily a lot of opportunity right. to do proactively. Yeah. And so our right. hands are feeling tied. You know, we're getting more and more concerned, and it's being recommended that we do this traditional intervention. We know how you're going to feel about that. We don't think it's necessarily the best way to go. And yet, if our hands are tied, we're not sure what else to do if we're so worried about your safety, right? And I think being transparent about that is real important, especially because unless I didn't hear anything to suggest that he is um, not his own guardian, right? He's his own guardian at 18, right? Right. Um, Yeah. We are looking into emergency guardianship in North Carolina where we are to try and, and see if that's something we can do before... Uh, so that's right now he is his own guardian, but um, yeah. we may be able to get some kind of emergency guardianship of him. Okay. Okay. Because that, that, that does factor in, right? Like you can set this intervention up and then him being 18 sort of factors in that, you know. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, states are different about the uh, guardianship piece. So it sounds like, I mean, in some states, there would be kind of like where I live. It's it's a wing and a prayer if you're going to be able to um, right. 
assume guardianship of an 18 year old, but I think that we're in a, we're in a different, just a different setup here. Um, yeah. So anyhow, that I think being transparent about how you're leaning towards this and why, and why, well, you know, Oh, go ahead. My understanding, and we have a meeting tomorrow evening with the whole team, um, that would help us kind of build up a plan for an intervention. But my under so this will be one question I have for them, but my understanding is that part of kind of a key part of it is that he not know it's coming. Which is part ah. of what scares me to death about it. Um Is that because is this the idea because if he finds out he'll take off and then he's even less safe? I think so. Um, so, so I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of not telling kids things, and yet I can see that that thinking there might be a way to then maybe not name the intervention, but say like, you know, typically when people are 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 doing or not doing the things that you're doing, like the people that care about them tend to start thinking about, and you can be, you know little bit of detail, but not much, right? And and I just want you to know, like, I, our, my, our heads have gone there because I, our hands are feeling tied that we're not being able to work things through with you. And, you know, and we've seen a change, right? Um, so maybe yeah. if, that's, if that helps you feel a bit better to guard against the taking off, but you're still being transparent, you're just not providing all kinds of detail about what could happen, right? Yeah. Maybe that's the way to go. Yeah, that's that is helpful. Um, so this is this has been a really helpful call. Um, really good information for me to um, as I process you know, next steps. And so your your explanation makes a lot of sense that the um, imminent risk of danger is the only time um, that something like this might have to happen. Um, well, well, and, and it does sound like you could be dancing toward that, right? It does yes. sound like we're n- I, I think want to we're be clear not about there. that. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have specifically asked him if he is a danger to himself and he says no, almost like with a shrug, like, of course not. But he also says he's fine. Um, So he's, I think, very unaware of himself at the moment. Um, It does, yeah, it feels like we're we're getting worse and worse. So. Yeah, and that you're, I mean, you, we don't know yet because we haven't found out from him, but you, you mentioned like this transitional period in his life where he's going to be leaving school is certainly a time that we see a lot of kids sort of flail, right? Because um, this, this 18 thing is supposed to be magical. That's how it's made out to be, right? You turn 18, you're your own person, and then yeah. the world is yours. And <laughs> wait a minute. Oh, wait a second. It actually isn't magical. <laughs> it's actually, right. It's kind of hard. <laughs> Yeah, so right. Um, please stay in touch with us. I mean, our program's not on over the summer, but we're happy to receive emails and 
certainly call back in in September. Let us know how it's going, and um, we'll be thinking Thank about you. you Thank you so much. I did send an email last Friday, so y'all will probably see that. And uh, um, um, I will call back in the fall and would like to be in right. touch over email. So thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. And, um, yeah, again, we'll keep you in mind and, and hope that things will improve. I deeply appreciate that in the work that you do. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, we've certainly heard from caregivers on the spectrum today of, of age ranges and, and issues people are dealing with, and um, always appreciative to, to hear from you all as part of the program. Um, we do wish you all a very peaceful, relaxing, restful summer. Uh, we'll be back in September with another edition. Be sure to join us then. Thanks for listening.